An unknown author said this, this book is the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy, its precepts are binding, its histories are true, and its decisions immutable. Read it to be wise, believe it to be safe, practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. It is the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian character. And I thought that was fitting with the topic that we're going to look at tonight. It's going to be spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity. Now, in chapter 5 of Hebrews, if you remember, uh, we are hitting an intermission. Uh, last week, we talked about how the writer had brought up that Jesus is the faithful and high priest after the order of Melchizedek, not after the order of Aaron. If you remember, he contrasted the priesthood of Aaron with the priesthood of Christ, and then he compared the priesthood of Christ with the priesthood of Melchizedek. We're introduced to Melchizedek. There's going to be a lot more of this man uh, as we go. But as he is starting to talk about how Melchizedek was a king and a priest, that he has no end of days, he had no beginning, he's a priest uh, continually. And so if he's continual priest, that's as Christ, as he began to, to bring up this topic in verse 10 of chapter 5, he has to make an intermission and call to attention the spiritual maturity for the readers to digest what he's talking about. He's starting to get into deeper waters. And so he's taking a temperature gauge here. Look at verse 10. Called of God and high priests after the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. For when, for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk, and not of strong meat. For every one that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now, we will go into chapter 6 for a little bit, uh, maybe the first two verses, but that's going to be the text that we're going to look at tonight. This is a part one and a part two, because this idea of spiritual maturity goes all the way to chapter 6, verse 20, and when we start in uh, chapter 7. But he's going to hit a subject that I want to do a little more diligence to and not just to all these verses tonight as a flyby. So the first thing he calls out in attention is this intermission. I, I do want to continue talking about Melchizedek, which he does in chapter 7. But in verse 11, he says, Of whom, Melchizedek, we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. So here is the charge. Here is the charge to them. And here is the, the whole teaching of spiritual maturity and spiritual immaturity. The charge is to fight the temptation 
And that dole of hearing in verse 11 means laziness. It means lethargic. It means you, you just don't care. It's, it, it doesn't move you. Be careful of the temptation of being lazy. That's the charge here. And grow in God's word. That's, that's what it is. That's the whole thing is grow. Grow and, and, be, and feed on the word of God. Um, now, who is this for? Now, some of those, uh, look up at chapter 6 and, and uh, look at verse 1. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on into perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms and of laying on hands and of resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we and this will we do if God permit, for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come if they shall fall away, to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. Next week we're going to deal with these verses specifically. But I know that this is a controversial, for some reason, it's a controversial subject or a controversial portion of text. We see many misapplications, many misinterpretations, but we need to know who he's talking to in our verses and throughout the whole thing in order to be able to appropriately apply uh, verse 11 through 14. I believe he's talking to believers. A lot of people say, well, no, he can't be talking. He's talking to unbelievers, and this is more about the new covenant versus the old covenant. But I believe this whole thrust is to be careful of backsliding. That's, that's the whole thing here, because I believe it's a hypothetical, because he says it is impossible for you to fall away. If Let's just say that you were able to fall away. What does that mean? Well, you couldn't be saved again because Jesus would have to be crucified again and die for your sins. And that's what that whole thrust is, is that if they shall fall away, in verse 6, to renew them again into repentance, that's hypothetical, seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. It's impossible. It's impossible to lose your salvation. People will teach this is apostasy, and they will teach that, look, see, you can fall from grace. You can, you can be saved and then not be saved. Well, that is not what it's teaching here. And they're violating all the scriptures where it teaches eternal security. And they're not correctly deciphering this text, which we're going to talk about that more. But we needed to know, okay, he's talking to believers in verse 11. Back in chapter 5, verse 11. Ye are dull of hearing. Now, this dull of hearing the, is, in the Greek, it means lethargic, it means sluggish. And it wasn't that they were not intelligent enough to hear about Melchizedek, not intelligent enough to understand the deep things and deep theology. You can know deep theology. It's not talking about your intelligence. The readers did not want to know. Now, here's the thing. If, if you don't want to know, if you're not going to know. <laughs> you're not going to learn it. You've got to have a desire to learn it. You've you got to want to know the Word of God. You have to uh, 
have that desire, that appetite. But here we see that it wasn't so much about the intelligence, but the dull of hearing. They, they did not want to hear it. Uh, Spurgeon says this about meditation, and I like this. Our bodies are not supported by merely taking food into our mouth. It is by digestion that the outward food becomes assimilated with the inner life. Our souls are not nourished merely by listening a while to this and listening a while to that and then to the other parts of divine truth, but hearing, reading, marking, and learning all required an inward digestion to complete its usefulness. And the inward digestion of the truth lies in the most part in meditation. Uh, so it's, you know, as Brother Ron said in his prayer, it's we meditate, you know, I've got a hundred things that can distract my mind every day, and I know you do too, just 24-7, and it, there's a lot of things that can do it, but have you ever just stopped and just wanted to think? Just stop and think. Um, and it's kind of like, oh, you're somewhere and you didn't, you forgot your phone and you have to wait, and all you got to do is sit there, and it just seems so strange to just not be doing something, and I think that all of this generation and society, I mean, we all have kind of a degree of ADHD because we're all so busy occupying our brain with something. Uh, it's over here, over there, over this. But meditation of the Word of God is when you take a truth and you just bring it down to your stomach and think about it and think about it and meditate on it and let the digestion come through. Those who are dull of hearing... Uh, this is a number one symptom. Now, I want to give you these four marks. Four marks of spiritual immaturity. Number one is dullness towards the word. Dullness towards the word. This is a symptom of spiritual regression, not progression. Uh, the dullness is towards the word of God. Uh, you have the attitude that uh, Sunday school class is dull or it's extra. It's too extra for me. The preaching is dull. The worship service is dull. Anything spiritual at all is dull. And you come in and not expecting anything and just everything is dull. But if you come in eager, wanting to learn, wanting to hear the word, you're going to be blessed. You're going to be taught. You know, the problem's not with the preaching, I don't think, but <laughs> the problem's not with the worship service. The problem's not with Sunday school. The problem isn't there. It's you've come in not wanting to know, not wanting to be blessed, not wanting to hear from God. If you come in wanting to hear from God, you'll hear from God. It may not even be something I say. It, it could be something that we read in here, and it could be text that I'm not even preaching on that whole entire day, and God's talking to you right there where you sit with a verse. You want to hear from God, you'll hear from God. If you come in and want to worship God, you're going to be, your heart's going to leave here fully blessed and glad you came. And, you know, so it's all in your attitude. It's all in the way you come in. The first mark of spiritual immaturity is dullness. Dullness towards the word. And that's what he's saying. I've got all these things I want to say, but you're dull of hearing. And so 
The second thing that he brings up in verse 12, he says, For when, for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. The second mark of spiritual immaturity is an inability to share the love of Christ, the gospel. Um, that word teachers. It's not talking about the office of teachers. You don't have to be some great teacher, great expositor, great theologian to be a teacher. This is simply talking about, do you have the ability to share your faith privately? Or maybe lifestyle witness. Um, do you have that? I mean, and that is the other thing. Do you have a desire to? Not just the ability to, but do you have a desire to share your faith. Um, he's not, again, this is about communication. And when he is addressing the Jews, now think about this, as we know he's addressing the Hebrews, they have had 30 years. This has been 30 years since the Church of Jerusalem started. They've had plenty of time. These are Jews too. They have a head start and a big advantage over the Gentiles. I mean, think about the, the child that grows up in a Christian home, how much they know just by being around the subject or being and I mean, picking up things they didn't even know they were learning, how much of an advantage they already have in the Word of God. And when they are at a place and they've been saved for so long, and notice that he says that you have the need of someone to teach you, not I mean, you may know it. It's not talking about those who know the basics of the faith, that know the first principles of the faith. You're someone who has to be taught them over and over and over. And that is a big red flag to spiritual immaturity. And uh, the whole thing, and I want to bring this up right now, the whole thing, and not only do we need to know what he's saying, but why he's saying it. We're, we're, we're going to look at those four ways to look at spiritual immaturity, but why is he bringing up spiritual immaturity? Well, because spiritual immaturity is proportional to your tendency to backslide. That's the whole thing. His whole thing is to hold fast. Remember, before we had talked, we had seen just this thread of holding fast to your profession and not drifting from the word. And so his whole thrust is, if you are growing in the word, you're less likely to do those things. If you are regressing in the word, or you are stepping back, or you're into uh, this, well, the first symptom was dullness, the second symptom is not being able to share or want to share your faith, and then we're going to look at these things, you're going to have more of uh, a tendency to go into backsliding. So that's the whole thrust of this whole thing. So in verse 12, he brings up these first principles. Okay, so what are the first principles? What, what are these that he's talking about? That's where we're going to go in the chapter 6. Uh, look at verse 1 and 2. Therefore, leaving the principles, and I believe this is what he's talking about. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of hands and of the resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. Um, 
You know, it is, John Gill says this. The Jews, they were expected to know these things. A lot of time, it says that to, to have this much time and background of learning and yet make no proficiency in progress in spiritual maturity is an evidence of dullness. It's an evidence of laziness. Laziness is lack of enthusiasm. Um, I don't know, many of you have had to, uh, maybe an apprentice, or you have had to train a coworker on something that you were doing. And what is it when, when you're training them, and let's say weeks go by, you, you've, you've told them the basics, you've told them how to turn it on, how to turn on the machine, and by the time they're supposed to be experts at running this machine, you're still having to show them how to turn it on. So either there's two things that may be going on there. Either there's a learning disability or there's no care. That's that whole thing. I just, I don't want to. I don't want to do it. And that is the same thing with the Jews, that he is, look, you should be, you should be well mature in your faith enough to be spiritually mature. And you're not. You're having to be told or taught um, over and over. If a person does not want to understand truth, they won't grow. They won't be proficient in truth. All right, number three. Here's the third mark is they're needing to be on a baby food diet. Uh, verse 12. So you have to be taught again the first principles of the oracles of God and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. Those who are called babes, and we're going to look in 1 Peter and 2 Peter. Think about this. Milk is pre-digested food. Remember what Spurgeon said about meditation? What's meditation? Digesting. It's digesting the truth. It's applying truth. It's not just knowing truth. It's applying the truth you've heard and making it a part of your life. That is spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity has nothing to do with age. It has to do with the person who applies the truth in their life and walks. And the more you do that, the more you're not going to see these things that he's bringing up, these marks. The more you're going to move on to the meat of the word because you're able to digest it. Milk is pre-digested. That means it's, it's just, it's substance that somebody else has already labored in prayer, labored in study, labored in, in meditation, and has given you the result. Well, you need to have, you need to do that yourself. You need to also, Lord, speak your truth to me. And you talk about the goosebumps. Um, and that is the mark of spiritual maturity. I mean, yeah, it's Wednesday night. It's dark. We're tired. But yet we come and we can read in the book of Habakkuk and still be blessed and still just have goosebumps. Um, there was a, a story about uh, a preacher that was either sick or that the church, it was, they were snowed in. And there was only a handful of people, and one of the, the men got up and said, well, I, I'm not a preacher, but I'll get up and read uh, the Bible. 
and he read from Genesis chapter 5. Genesis chapter 5 is one verse after another. There's 70-something verses, uh, not just in that chapter alone, but it has the the phrase, then he died. So-and-so lived so many years, then he died. That's all he read. I mean, just all these verses all night. And then he died. And then he died. And then he died. And then he died. Close the book. Pray. Amen. Let's be dismissed. Well, you know, one of the people that came to church, he was walking home. And he was walking home and he couldn't shake. He couldn't shake it. The Lord was sending just a fear in his heart. Then he died. Then he died. Then he died. Then he died. He lived. Then he died. Methuselah lived 900-something years. Wow. But then he died. Then he died. And you know that he fell at his knees and repented and believed upon the Lord for, as his Savior just from, that, just from that message. I mean, even if I were to get up here and read Genesis chapter 5, if you want to hear from the, the, the Lord, he'll talk to you. You want to worship the Lord, he'll he'll fill your soul. But Peter calls it, let's move on in 1 Peter. If if you want to flip over to 1 Peter with me, it's not too far away. It's actually just over a couple books to your right. 1 Peter calls it newborn babes. 1 Peter chapter 1. Well, you know what? Let's um, yeah, okay, yeah. Let, let's do First Peter chapter one, verse twenty-one. Who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God, seeing ye have purified your souls and obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love to the brethren. See that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby, if so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. You know, as he is describing this, as Peter, we read all of the things, you know, just like when we're born again, Things shift their perspectives, just like a newborn baby. Uh, Your perspective is different now. Uh, Your life is now is in view of eternal life. And that's what Peter is bringing out, that the flesh is going to wither. Everything you see is is going to wither away, but the the Lord endureth forever. The, The word of the Lord endureth forever. And then he tells them, as if he is writing to newborn babes, because he said, In verse 2, as newborn babes, as those who are new to the faith, what does he tell us in verse 1? Laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings. Those are the first principles. 
The first principles is the fruits of the Spirit in your life. Look at chapter 2 of First Peter, or <laughs> chapter 2 of Peter. And look at verse 5. Chapter, uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. And he says, And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith. What do we add to our faith? Virtue and to virtue, knowledge, and to knowledge, temperance, and to temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're saved. Uh, again, I, I, he's writing to professed believers but they're not adding to their faith. They're not adding to their faith the virtue, the knowledge. The, the word of the Lord is to instruct us how to live our life. It's not just to know the things, and, and what a beautiful thing that we can know these things and, and have the assurance and, and have the, the, the goosebumps that, of Christ's eternal salvation and his victory and his coming again and coming for his people. But there's, we also need to instruct our hearts as it is adding here to add to our faith these things. Add to it virtue and knowledge, brotherly love, kindness. Now what did Paul call these? The fruits of the Spirit. The mark of a spiritually mature Christian, they have fruits of the Spirit. They have these things that Peter says to add to it. And the only way you're going to become a spiritual mature Christian is to apply the word of God to your life. Don't be dull of hearing. Apply it. Digest it. And then we grow. And not only we grow in knowledge, it includes growing in knowledge, but it is growing in experience. Uh, that's where wisdom comes from. That's where the spiritual maturity comes from. If someone has experienced faith in their life, someone has experienced just surrendering everything in their life, their fears, whatever, or maybe they've gone through tragedy and they, they just felt the Lord just pick them up and carry them right through and gave them a peace that they didn't even understand. And you see the expression on the saint's face that, hey, I just experienced the most tremendous thing I've ever felt in my life. Wouldn't that just explode out of your heart? Wouldn't you want to share that? So it growing in the Word and eating meat has nothing so much to do about theology as it has to do about your experience of applying the principles of God, applying those first principles. And so that's why, and back in Hebrews chapter 5, our cravings as newborn, you know, that's what Paul says is, uh, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What are we to do as born-again Christians? Well, just like a born-again baby has cravings. They have a craving. They're, they're, they're gaining perspective of their new world, right? I mean, hey, I was, 
I was fine where I was, and now look where I am. I'm in the, so they're gaining perspective. They're gaining ground, just as, as born-again Christians. But there's also a craving for the word. And newborns, they do need to have that, that pre-digested milk of the word. And those are those first principles. Uh, and he had went over those. Now, again, I, I do want to say this. It is very healthy for us who know the first principles to go back to them and meditate on them and dwell on them. And uh, look at chapter 6, verse 1. We talked about these first principles. We do meditate on the doctrine of Christ. We do meditate on Jesus Christ, his, his birth, his ministry, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his promises, that, and him being our ransom for sin and sacrifice for sin. Those are the first things. And then the laying, uh, again, of the foundation of repentance from dead works, faith towards God. Uh, verse 2, the doctrine of baptism, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. So these, I believe those are the things the author has in mind for the first principles. And again, it is healthy for us to go back as God's people. And, and definitely, I mean, that's what Lord's Supper is. Lord's Supper is, us, is in, in memory of the Lord's death upon the cross. Baptism is a picture of the gospel. So, yeah, we do go back. The difference is, is he is saying that he has to reteach them. It's not something they knew. or something they had to be told over and over and over. What does the author have in mind as far as strong meat? I mean, obviously, he was talking about Melchizedek. Uh, but we know from our study in Romans, there's a lot of meat in there. Uh, and what happens if a babe tries to eat meat? They'll choke. How many people out there claim to be preachers and teachers, and all they're doing is teaching words they've choked on, and they're teaching utter nonsense? They weren't ready to absorb the meat, let alone teach it. And how many times do we see just the teachers take things out of context, out of in air? But those are chokers. And Paul warns Timothy about them. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 4, you don't have to turn there. They said, from these teachers, which some have swerved, have turned aside into vain jangling. Vain jangling means empty talking. It's babbling. They're desiring to be teachers of the law. They understand neither what they say nor what they teach, nor what they affirm. All right, so verse 12 was our, or in verse 11 we see that a sign of spiritual immaturity is dull of hearing. Number two, in verse 12, was there's not an ability or a care or, or a desire to share the Lord. And then third, uh, you're not able to move on to the meat of God's word. And it's not so much about knowing the first principles which that's part of it, but it's also applying the first principles. Do you have basic faith? I mean, when you tithe, do you tithe and say, Lord, I don't know how I'm going to meet the bills. It's putting God to the test. Lord, I believe you. 
I believe you're going to provide. Uh, I was telling April that, uh, well, as you all know, in a couple of years, I hope to retire. And I was thinking about the pension that, I mean, I've been working for, I don't know how long, I mean, there, I, mean, I hadn't been as long as some of you all have worked all your life, uh, especially Brother Jim. I know you, you worked a while there. At, um, so, but then I got to thinking, you know what? God's got a bigger pension. God's got a bigger retirement plan than any company. If anything were to happen to me, it's in God's will. But I know he's got me. And you know what that does? It calms you. It takes the, the anxiety. It takes the stress. It takes the fear of what could happen away. And it helps you, and it enables you. And what does it actually also do? It takes your eyes off of yourself. And then you're able to love. You're able to provide help. You're able to, to look at someone's needs and say, I need to help them. and I want to be an encouragement to them. You, you, your worry is not on you anymore. It's on others. So God's got me. I want to go help somebody else who's going through loss or grief or struggle or fear. And I want to share the Lord with them. Verse 13 and 14 go together. He says, for everyone that useth milk. Now, before I keep going, I'm sorry I keep interrupting it. But this is where you know, we, we read the what. This is where the how comes in. Okay. This is the what of what he is saying, but why he is saying it in verse 13. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. In verse 13, how is the person unskillful? Again, this is, I don't believe this is talking about, it's a lot deeper than this. It's, a, it's, it's not talking about someone who is unable to teach. He's not talking about someone unskillful who cannot teach. I believe this is talking about the person who cannot use the word of God to discern good and evil in their life. You've not applied the word of God and so you're not able to discern good and evil. What happens when you're not able, when the, the, the word of God is not dwelling in you and you run into temptations, you're more than likely going to fall. You're more than likely going to backslide. So what is the antidote? To grow, to apply the word, to apply those first principles. Let him richly dwell in you. And that's what verse 14. Then you go on to this meat because it belongs to them that are of full age. I don't mean age and years, but those who have been able, who are spiritually mature, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. That's exactly what that means. The fourth mark of spiritual immaturity is you're not able to apply the word 
to your life. That's what unskillful means. That's the fourth mark of spiritual immaturity. You're not able to apply it and use it. You're not able to, to, to use that truth. The Lord just blessed that truth like a little tiny seed and it just starts to grow in your life and you're able to, because it reinforces the word. So that is why he's saying that the author is fearful that the people would be more likely to wean away from God or, le- or go into ungodly living or be f- a victim of the deceitfulness of sin if you're not growing in his word. And you all know that. Uh, you've heard uh, the old preacher say, if you're not growing, you're dying. Either you're growing or you're regressing. There's no staying still. You're either growing or you're dying. If a flower's not growing, it's dying. So when we, and that's the warning. This is a wonderful warning to all of us. Because here's the thing, it's kind of a gut punch. Because all of us, I mean, the more you're in the word of God, the more you realize how far you have to go. That's me. The more it convicts me, Lord, help me to apply this truth more in my life. What you have to be really worried about is the people that think they've just got it all figured out and don't need to learn anything or don't need to reapply something or don't need to keep growing. Uh, They did an interview. There was this uh, expert celloist, 90-year-old man, been a celloist like almost his whole life, and he was the greatest celloist that ever lived. And they had an interview with him, and and they asked him, why do you still practice six hours a day? And he says, because I'm progressing. I'm progressing. So it is with the Word of God. We're always growing, always growing. Let's be careful to grow. And there's very practical ways that we can do that. Um, Apply basic trust and obedience in your life and you will grow in spiritual maturity. Just apply basic trust and obey, and you'll grow spiritually. Apply love to your brothers and sisters, and make it not a matter of the love you get back. Uh, Many treat loving as like fishing. They'll cast out their love, but they're expecting something a little bit better when they reel it back in. Cast out your love and don't expect it to come back. Just love. And don't expect it in return. I think of uh, Sister Jennifer out there with the the traffic and just those crazy parents. And some of the stories she told me, these these parents roll down their window and just yell and cuss at her. And our sister does. That's remarkable. And And it's even more remarkable. The Lord tells us to return it with blessing. That's hard. I said, you'll heap a coal of fire on their head. You say, I love you. God bless you. That's hard. When I'm getting honked at, that's not my knee-jerk reaction. I don't know about you all. But, uh, you know, and, and sometimes I feel like until you learn that, until I learn that lesson, I'm going to keep getting honked at. <laughs> The Lord's going to put you through trials to perfect your faith, to protect, perfect your love. So if it's hard to do something, get ready. Because it may just keep coming. 
So we love people, not, re, not you know, that's what it's love without dissimulation. That means love without pretense, love without there being a reason to, other than that you have the love of God in your heart. So, and you will grow spiritually. You will have spiritual maturity. Apply a, a basic prayer life and you'll see yourself grow spiritually. Apply study and meditation of the word. You'll grow spiritually. It'll draw you closer to the Lord. So the admonition that he's giving in, in chapter 6, we will continue. But be aware of these four marks of spiritual immaturity. There's a dullness. There's a spiritual dullness. You're unable to share your faith, even in private situations. Um, you're on a milk diet, and all that means is that you've just been hearing it, not not applying it, and growing through experience. We grow through experience, digestion. And then, last one, beware of not being able or not applying truth to your life. That's the last part uh, in verse 14. Those who are full of age, they eat from the word of God and they use it in their life to discern good from evil. Just simple repentance and faith and obedience. And like I said, the, the more that we apply these things, we'll grow spiritually, but we'll also see that, oh, the, the Lord has saved a sinner. Saved by grace. I'm saved by grace. The, the more you're in the word of God, and I've always heard this and it's true, the more you're in the word, the less you're in the world. The more you're in the world, the less you're in the word. It, they're, they're both playing tug of war. And uh, let's just get into the word and grow. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this study. Thank you, Father, that we, we pray, Lord, that you just convict us of our hearts. Father, that we just always have the mind to keep growing in your word, to apply your truths. Father, to, to put our faith to test that, Lord, that you are faithful. Lord, we, we see later that you assure us of our faith and the foundation is sure. Lord, may we just put all our faith and trust in you. And Lord, may we grow spiritually. Each one of us, may we love more. And Father, just help each one. Lord, we thank you for this word of instruction and encouragement. And, and Father, we pray, Lord, that you'll just bless. And bless those, Father, who were not able to make it tonight for whatever reason that they may have, Lord, you know. We pray for them. In Jesus' name, amen.